3: Welcome to Mom and Dad Are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, December 1st, the Stop the Shrieking edition. I'm Zach Rosen. I make a different show called The Best Advice Show, and I live in Detroit with my family. My daughter Noah is five, and my son Ami is two.
1: I'm Elizabeth Newcamp. I write the homeschool and family travel blog, Dutch, Dutch Goose. I'm the mom of three littles Henry, who's 10, Oliver, who's 8, and Teddy, who's 6. We live in Colorado Springs, Colorado.
0: I'm Jamila Lemieux. I'm a writer, contributor to Slate's Care and Feeding Parenting column, and mom to Naima, who's nine and a half, and we live in Los Angeles.
3: Today on the show, we have a question about a five-year-old who constantly throws tantrums, screaming, no, don't, stop, to relatively minor requests. Her parents are concerned someone will call child services due to all the yelling. Is there a way to stop the shrieking? Then on Slate Plus, we're going to talk about how to set healthy boundaries with grandparents. Here's what you'll hear if you have Slate Plus.
1: You know, you want to give your kids that experience of being around them, but perhaps it's toxic to you, right? And you don't want that toxicity passed on. And the problem with being empathetic is that sometimes you feel so beat down that, that it feels like you're giving up a piece of yourself <laughs> to be empathetic.
3: If you want to support our show, the best way to do that is by signing up for Slate Plus. You get bonus segments from us each week, as well as from your other favorite Slate shows, and you won't hear any ads. It really does help us out immensely. You can sign up for Slate Plus now at slate.com/momanddadplus. Okay, we're going to catch up on our week in parenting, but not before a quick break. See you back here in a second.
2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
3: All right, Jamila, do you have a triumph or fail for us this week?
0: I have a fail. Um, I actually, it's a confession,
1: if you will, and a resolution. It's a new, a new segment, confessions. <laughs>
0: a new, right, par- parenting confessions. Um, That is so often what our fails are. Like, here's this awful thing I've done. Let me confess. So I and by proxy Naima have become an inconsistent masker. For folks who've been listening to this show since the beginning of the pandemic, you may remember that I was once like the captain of the anti-COVID caravan. You know, I was very diligent about... Washing groceries and wearing masks and gloves and just all of the things and socially distancing. And I stayed in the house for a year and, you know, didn't do anything socially until I got vaccinated, basically. And even though masking has been passe for quite some time, you know, in our corner of the world here in L.A., I and Naima, you know, and and her father's household, too, had like still, for the most part, been pretty consistent. Now, that doesn't account for going to brunch or to a movie or to a bar. And I still do those things, you know, but when I'm not doing those things, I'm masked. I wear masks in the grocery store and masks to pick up Naima from school. And, you know, I don't really go anywhere else. Like, I usually wear masks at the gym and like, I just kind of fell off. I didn't realize, like, how much I'd fallen off until we got to New York, where we spent Thanksgiving week. And we were there a couple days before my mom got there, and she's an excellent masker. So we pulled it together once mom came, and so, like, that kind of helped us get back on track. But, you know, even though we have both had our flu shots, there's this crazy flu going around, and, you know, it's supposed to be worse this year than last year, because last year people were masking by the droves, you know, and so... Um, we're masked back up. We're back on track. And, you know, I've just got to do better. I mean, it's not that I wasn't doing it at all. It's just that, like, I gotten really comfortable being like, Oh. Left it in the car. I'm not going back to the car. I'm just going to go in the store. Oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, like the last time I went to the gym, I think I came in with it on and then was just like, you know what? And it's just so easy when you look around and no one else is wearing them. You know, I think part of what shook me up a bit in New York is that I was seeing them. And like when you see them and you don't have one, like, I don't know about you all, but I feel like an asshole. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel weird wearing one. I feel weird not wearing one when other people have them on. I feel very conspicuous and irresponsible and like I'm making some sort of political statement that I didn't intend to make.
3: Yeah, I mean, we have dropped off tremendously. The numbers have been going down a lot. And so, yeah, I mean, that's true. I feel the same way as you do when when I do enter a space and everyone's wearing them and I'm not. But I mean, we're surrounded by people who are, Pretty conscious about about other people, and I th- like most of us have stopped wearing them. And I mean, we we're, we're boosted, we're vaxed. Um, I'm not defending not wearing it, but it, we're we're in a different place that we were last year and two years ago.
1: Do you feel like though there are, there are different kind of rules and standards now? Because I definitely feel like our mask usage has become like if anyone in the house is sick, coughing, anything. We're all masking when we're out, because I do feel like I don't want to give something to someone else, right? So we're limiting where we're going out, and when we are out, we're going to mask. But I mean, Jamil, I really resonate with the, like, if we are somewhere and everyone else has a mask on, or I even see one or two other people with a mask on, I'm likely to pull it out of my purse and it <laughs> on. Because I just feel like, you know, I if I go into a medical office that isn't requiring them, I'm going to wear it because everybody else is wearing one. So the question is like, are we there or are we on the, should we all be masked all the time? You know, should we be masked more around children because of the RSV and because of the flu and COVID? I don't, I don't know. And I feel like we have not been given great guidance um, because the masking has become so political. It's like no one wants to tell us what to do
0: we haven't i you know i just think of people that have certain disabilities and ailments that make them you know much more susceptible to serious malady if they get covid i think that's really my only basis at this point for continuing to mask
1: a lot of those same people are susceptible to flu so is it just now that we're like more aware
0: i think it's more than just covid i think for sure like The flu is definitely a part of my, like, thought process behind masking this winter. You know, like, even though
1: I've had a flu shot, I just... Well, there are people who can't get them, right? I mean, we... And people that even when they get them, get sick. Yeah.
3: Yeah, like, I was at an event for my synagogue last week, and they requested that anyone coming, because it was close quarters, wear a mask. And we all wore masks. Um, But that was more the exception now than the norm. Whereas last year, kind of any indoor space we were in, we were masked.
1: No, I like rules. I like when the place says, wear your mask. I'm like, great. <laughs> Thank you for telling me what to do.
3: I know. If someone tells me to do it, great. Thank you for telling me what to do. Yep. Totally. How about you, Elizabeth? What have you got this week?
1: Uh, I have, you know, I'm calling it a triumph, but really it was forced family fun, um, <laughs> which maybe my kids don't think was a triumph. So we... Uh, every year that we're able cut our own Christmas tree from the National Forest and you pay, it's like $12 for a permit. Actually, if you have a fourth grader, it's free with the Every Kid Outdoors pass. But you get this permit and they tell you which areas of the forest you can go to. And essentially you're cutting down your Christmas tree for $12, but you're also helping with fire mitigation and forest thinning. And there's all these rules about what kind of tree you can cut down. We went... Last year and had to search for like two hours for the perfect tree. Uh, this year, Jeff got like a hot tip on an area we could go to <laughs> that, that involved like driving through these gates that look like maybe you shouldn't go through. I mean, you definitely could go through them, but you have to get out and open them. And there were a couple of places that maybe the minivan, you know, like Jeff got out and looked at where we were going <laughs> and was like, uh oh, <laughs> like maybe we won't make it. Maybe we might have to fill this with sticks, but we made it. To this area. And and the issue with cutting your tree is that most of the wild trees grow up with another little tree next to it. So they only grow on one side. Their trunks are all bendy. So finding a tree is like difficult. So we get out of the car, and instantly the kids find this tree that they're like, this is the perfect tree you know, we walked maybe eight minutes from the car. The problem is it's like a 15-foot tree. We don't have 15-foot ceilings. So we're like, no, no, let's walk around. So we find this other little tree. And I'm like, oh, this is it. But Jeff is like, this has been too easy. So he now leads us over the next couple ridge lines. Anyway, after walking around for 35 minutes or so, we come back to this tree that I found. And we get down next to it to like think about cutting it down and there are dead mice in it i think they froze so i instantly took that as a no thank you no trees with dead mice. right like that's the universe saying this is not your tree so we go back to this 15 foot tree and we decide this is the one we're gonna take you have to cut them right at the base, and they don't want you leaving any of the stuff you cut in the forest. So we cut down the, the 15-foot tree. We carry it back to the car, and, of course, it doesn't fit on the minivan. So we start trying to, like, slice it down and then throw How in do you the pieces carry of the a 15. Just you and Jeff were carrying Just it? me and Jeff, yeah. The kids are carrying, like, all the, the branches because we did slice off some of the bottom thinking that would take some of the weight. And honestly, I think Jeff did most of the lifting (laughs) because my end was not very heavy. And he gave me the gloves because I was dumb and I didn't bring work gloves and the trees are, like, spiky. This is every year, by the way. Like, we do this. I never bring the stuff. The kids are like, we found the tree. Let's be done. You know, (laughs) we're like, we have to look for the perfect one. So we carry the tree back to the car. We try to, like, sit the kids down to have, like a snack and some we brought hot cocoa to have hot cocoa but it's not really that cold so they're not thrilled with the hot cocoa we like slice off a bunch of the tree we get it on top of the car now we have to drive home which is like over all these highways last year our cute little tree wrapped up perfectly in this blanket we brought the same blanket 15 foot tree does not wrap up into this blanket get it home We cut off what we think (laughs) we need. We bring it into the house. You guys, it is so tall. Uh, We can't take off any more of the bottom because the tree also is like, okay, I like a really fat tree, right? So it's really fat at the bottom. And then the top is kind of all the same until the very top. So we're like, well, we can't take off any more of the bottom. We'll have like this very narrow tree. So we just start hacking off the top. And now, no joke. The tree just looks like it goes through the ceiling of my house. Like, it, like it we just cut it right at the top. <laughs> like, I should go put the other half in my bedroom, which is under where we have the tree, and it would just look like <laughs> the tree went right through the top. But we had so much extra leaves that I was able to make four or five wreaths with the extra oh, nice. stuff. So that's kind of fun. Zach, how about you? Triumph or fail this week?
3: I, I'm, I'm not ready to call it a triumph yet because it's only been one night, but... I told you maybe a month or two ago that we were having some big time sleep regression issues with Ami ever since he's, he started climbing out of the crib. He's in a a big kid bed. He's in a twin bed. And since then it's been many, many months. He has not slept through the night more than like 10 times. I would say Um, he wakes up usually at around two in the morning and comes into our room And either we've been just pulling him into bed with us, which is cozy or Shira or I will go and sleep with him in his bed. And then last night, after just months and months of this, we were just like, you know what? We can't, we can't let this continue. We have to stand up to this little kid. And, uh, so we sleep trained last night, which just essentially meant, you know, Ami is, he's two and two months. So he can easily, like I said, leave his room. He can open his door. Um, and come into our room. So, he came into our room a couple times, and then we, we just went and put him right back. And he cried, and he got out of bed a couple times. And we put him back, and he cried, and then we held him for a couple minutes, and we put him back. But he did not sleep with one of us in either his bed or or our bed. He slept by himself after um, much back and forth. But he did sleep by himself um, once we did that. So I'm hoping that this is the beginning of the end of, hopefully, the last sleep regression will have, because this kid's too old to be regressing. He needs, he needs to sleep, and so does his dad and his mom. So uh, I've got my fingers crossed. I'll let you know how it goes next week, but we are going to continue um, holding the line and making sure that he sleeps in his own bed.
1: I mean, I think any sleeping family is a good family. So <laughs> whatever you have to do to get those Zs, but I don't think you should set yourself up for... <laughs> He's too old to having regressions. Because I, I doubt this is your last with any of them. I can tell you that it's not.
3: <laughs> no? What do I have to look forward to? Many, years of regression. You know, uh,
1: years right. of regression. Yeah, agreed. Whenever they go through something. Yep. Like, it, I think as they get older, it becomes more um, emotional. Yeah. Um, and maybe they're not, like, crawling in. But they, maybe it's just, like, night waking or wandering or other things. Mm-hmm. Or they need you to lay down with them before
0: they go to sleep, as opposed to you saying goodnight and walking away. You might have to, like, stay in the bed with them.
3: I appreciate you tempering my expectations, honestly. So this isn't the last sleep regression. It's just the last one for a month or two.
1: Right. Yeah, and it it does get easier, right? Because they can tell you more.
3: Yes, yes. yeah. And he's starting to communicate so much. It's been very, very sweet. Um, He learned the word wait. So, like, when I leave the room now, he says, wait. And it's... Heart, heartbreaking and cute. Okay, well, on that note, we're going to take another quick break and uh we'll see you back here for our listener question.
2: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. And now get $250 when you join RAMP for free. Just go to RAMP.com slash easy. RAMP.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC Terms and Conditions apply. All over the country.
1: We need to improve reading in Wisconsin.
2: Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have
0: gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation.
2: And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life.
1: And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet.
2: Soul a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul a Story are available now.
1: Talking about money can be so hard, especially when the person you're talking to is still learning how to do long division. That's why Million Bazillion, a Webby winning podcast from Marketplace, is here to help. I'm Bridget, and with my fellow co-host, Ryan, we help teach your little ones about complex topics like bankruptcy, climate change, and why there's so much gold at Fort Knox, and so much more. Listen to Million Bazillion wherever you get your podcasts.
3: It's time for a question, which is being read, as always, by the wonderful Shasha Leonard.
2: Dear mom and dad, our five-year-old has always had big emotions, but somewhere in the last year and a half, uh, she started shrieking and screaming bloody murder during her tantrums. Or basically anytime she doesn't want the thing we want, slash does want the thing we don't want. This has bled over into school too, though thankfully not a ton. We've responded in a variety of ways, time in, loving on her, hugs, snuggles, etc., Talking calmly to her, sitting with her but not responding until she stops screaming, breathing techniques, time out, reprimanding her, leaving her to tantrum on her own until she screams herself out, consequences for the behavior, screaming back. I know, I know, this last one doesn't help. Tonight was another in a series of battles. Way after bedtime, after a big fight to get her there in the first place, she came tearing downstairs and was actively peeing her pants. She refused to sit on the toilet, so we put her in the tub. She screamed bloody murder, and then continued to scream even louder and more adamantly and verbosely when we said we needed to take her underwear off because they were wet. Like, she wouldn't let us do it. At all. She got out of the tub, screaming like a fire alarm, if fire alarms shrieked, no, don't, stop, repeatedly for ten minutes without end, and proceeded to curl herself practically under the toilet. We could not get her to stop. I had to leave the room. I've got some auditory sensitivity and I have a hard time with loud repeated noises. Thankfully, my partner worked magic eventually, 30 minutes later. As a child, I also screamed a lot, just not all the time. But one time our neighbors called child services on my parents because my screaming. It was really terrible for all of us. I'm truly worried that the same thing will happen to us. How do we get her to stop constantly losing her shit, or at least stop constantly screaming? I know kids push back, but I'm at my wits end with the noise and intensity. I'm worried about the neighbors, and I'm really concerned for her with this level of amped up emotion. It feels way out of the norm.
3: <sighs> Thanks, screamed out. What do you think, Elizabeth?
2: Ugh.
1: Well, I feel so bad for our parents here, because unfortunately, tantrums are like a very normal part of development, right? This is your child telling you that they can feel and that they have thoughts and opinions on the things going on around them, and they don't have the language or capacity to deal with them. I think that's really hard. I also think the hard thing is that this stuff does not resolve by you doing the right thing for one week or for two days or one episode right like they are going to have to grow out of this but there are things you can do I think to minimize the impact to your family what you can control in this situation is not your child, but how you are reacting to them. And it sounds like you've tried a bunch of different things. And a lot of times they just don't work immediately. What we found, which I think is kind of what is practiced in a lot of the the gentle kind of parenting area, is this like name it to tame it. So anger is a secondary emotion. It's what you feel when you feel overwhelmed by something else. The reason kids choose Anger and tantrums—it's because it's something you can control, right? Like you can't control frustration or jealousy or sadness, but you can control anger. When you feel angry, there are things you do, and that feels very satisfying. Like even as adults, that feel, think about when you as an adult get angry, it feels really good to, in the moment, scream back or or be, you know, like, oh, I'm aggressive and I'm big. That feels good, and so you have to understand that that is what your child's doing. It doing. So I think if you you continue to say like you seem really frustrated or i think you're frustrated i think you are sad i hear you that you wanted to play more right like so you're saying i understand why you're feeling this or at least like i'm taking my best guess but with kids it's usually pretty easy you've asked them to do something that they don't want to do i think then saying it's okay to feel that way is important like it's okay that that you don't want to stop playing that is really frustrating. So now you've said, like, the way you feel is totally okay, and now as a parent, you set the boundary, and then you're going to enforce that boundary. So I think with the playing stuff, I try to tell the kids a lot of times when we are going to do the thing next. So, like, if if they can't play the Switch anymore, I say, like, I understand that you're really upset that I've asked you to turn off the Switch. I know you're in the middle of a game, and that's really frustrating. We will get to play more you know, whenever that is, when we get back from this errand or tomorrow at the same time, right? So this is going to happen again. And it's not at all tied to your behavior. This is something that we are going to do again. Whatever it is that you're fighting over in that moment, this is when you're going to get that back. And then just holding to that boundary, which can be hard. But I think it is a very kind way to say like, gosh, I know you really enjoy doing that. Or I know, you know, changing from this behavior to getting into the car or to cleaning up from dinner all these simple requests like that is really frustrating because we feel that as adults too we want to do the thing that we want to do i have a couple resources that i just want to recommend really quick which is getting like a wheel of emotions feelings chart because it a lot of them have like faces and i think kids do really well with like pointing at the face and then you helping them um we've always used this how big is my problem chart which has like different faces I know I've mentioned this before and Etsy has a few of them. If you look up how big is my problem, it has different faces and it has like a, a crazy face and it says like emergency and then it has another face. It's like less of emergency all the way down to like slight inconvenience and happy. And I like to take the kids like in a once we have sort of calmed down and say when you were throwing this tantrum or when you look like this, you looked like there was an emergency. What kind of things are emergencies? Right. So like the behavior you're giving me looks like this. But what you should actually be telling me is something more up here, like the annoyed face. And these are behaviors of annoyance versus behaviors of an emergency. And this is important so we can keep each other safe. And I just think having those charts somewhere to refer to can be really helpful and concrete. But also know that like the reason these charts exist is because a lot of kids struggle with this. I don't know. What do you guys think?
0: Well, I just want to add... That, like, we have to put a COVID asterisk next to the behavior of, like, all children basically over the age of four right now. You know, that, like, the last few years have been really challenging for them and even more so for their parents you know, so a, a five-year-old would not remember the pre-COVID world per se, but still certainly had their life impacted in certain ways, you know, at the very least via the changes that their parents went through, um, personally, professionally, or otherwise during these last three years. Um, so I think there's that to take into account. Um I'm curious to know what, if anything, the letter writer remembers about their own screaming. You know, like they mentioned very briefly that they once, you know, shrieked so loudly that child services were called. um, And the loudness was something that, you know, a lot, just not all the time, but that's a lot. You know what I mean? Like a lot and all the time are kind of the same thing. A lot means pretty regularly. So what were you going through? What were you feeling? What were you experiencing that caused you to scream? Can you tap into any of those memories? And you may not have them. It's possible that you just remember that, hey, as a kid, when I got upset, I got loud. But if you can you know, recover any memory from that time period, try and think about, like, what made you react in such a way? What were the things you were experiencing? Was this related to your auditory sensitivity in some way? Like, what was going on with you that brought you there? And, and how might that apply to your child? You know, for folks who listen to this show and especially anyone who reads and Feeding knows that i like every week advise therapy and i'm going to advise therapy again today um i think considering all this happened in the last couple of years and that your child is experiencing these big emotions that you're struggling it sounds like you're doing a lot of things you know like You've tried a lot of stuff. I think it is possible that your child may need to talk to somebody that is trained to identify what's going on with them, you know, so that they can provide you with the sort of tools and coping mechanisms and, you know, strategies for when these things happen or, you know, strategies to help her express herself without having to scream. But I would say I I think... Considering all that you've done that it is time to, you know, outsource this while continuing to, you know, try new things and um, be as patient as you possibly can with her all along. But I think you deserve some support here.
1: Jamila, can I add to that, that in addition to therapists, an occupational therapist is, is someone that works with a lot of this, including like the sensory stuff. So I think that's a great suggestion. And, and there are also therapists that work with, like you mentioned, families. So they're, they're advising you on what to do. But if the therapy route, traditional therapy, doesn't seem to be working or you feel like it's something else, there are occupational therapists that work with children to deal with kind of this overstimulation.
3: Yeah, yeah, I co all that. And I was digging into this a little bit, and there's a difference between tantrums and meltdowns. These sound to me perhaps more like meltdowns than tantrums. The difference being meltdowns are usually a result of sensory overload. Though I could be wrong. And so once you get into this meltdown territory, if you, if you just Google tantrums versus meltdown, um, you might start to be able to identify some of the patterns and notice uh, when your kid is having a tough time. I would totally co-sign going to talk to a therapist, but like when they are not melting down or, or tantruming, work with them to build their own calm sanctuary in the house. Something, somewhere that they love, something that's theirs, whether it's like a fort or a corner or under their bed or on their bed or just somewhere where they can like feel like, okay, this is like my space where I can go. And who knows, you've, you've, probably already tried this you might be you might be past that but just to like build with them space to go when they're feeling these big feelings um that that might help but again um it seems like you're doing really great and and you've tried a lot of this so go talk to a professional please keep in touch we'd love to know how everything goes and if any of our advice helped and what you decide to do next everyone else if you have some advice to offer send us a voice memo or email us at momandad at slate.com. I really love the voice memos because then we get to hear your voice and then we get to perhaps put that into the show. That's also where you can send us any questions of your own, momandad at slate.com. That's it for our show. Don't forget to join us on Monday. And while you're at it, please subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting is produced by Rosemary Belson and Christy Taiwo Makajula. For Jamila Lemieux and Elizabeth Newcamp,